Hi everyone, welcome along to the PHT Podcast, another chance for you to delve into an amazing destination and today to tell us all about Turkey. Lovely Melanie Wing is here. Great to see you, Melanie. Yeah, lovely to see you again, Lee. Another place that you have been, that you've travelled, that you have loved. Is it fair to say with Turkey, everyone's heard of it? Oh, yeah. Not, yeah. not a lot of people know a lot about it, though. No, they don't because um, it's one of those sort of countries that isn't quite Europe. It's not Arabia. It's certainly not America. It's not sort of anywhere. It's, it's Turkey. Mm. You know, it's great big luscious succulent slices of Turkey. It's an amazing destination. We don't know a lot about it. Tell us about Turkey because everyone could tell you Turkey, you know, if you're running through a list of countries and then you might say to someone on a map, point it out. Yeah. I'm not sure everyone knows where it is. No, well, it's it's actually very close to, to Bulgaria and Greece. So it sort of hugs that area um, beyond, uh, uh, I suppose, Western Europe. So it sort of sits in a southerly sort of direction. So when everybody else is sort of freezing in Europe, they still have a certain amount of winter sun, particularly around sort of the Mediterranean, sort of Aegean side yep. of um, the country. So I suppose northern Turkey sort of sits straddling the Black Sea and then southern Turkey sort of sits straddling the Aegean, so the Greek islands and, of course, some of the uh, the Turkish coast and then down sort of towards the Mediterranean. So, um, And it's connected by a sort of fairly narrow isthmus of land to, to that of Western uh, Europe. So... Uh, but it, it's very much outside of the EU. I think it wants to be part of the EU, but um, whether that'll ever happen, I'm unsure. But um, And then, of course, in a very, very due sort of uh, easterly direction, you've got sort of other neighbours sort of down there, places like Iran and yep. uh, uh, and that sort of thing. So um, the area that we sort of tend to sort of visit as tourists, though, tends to be um, pretty strictly enough um, Western Turkey. So sure. we're talking about places such as Istanbul, Troy, Gallipoli for the uh, the Anzac commemoration, uh, whether that be on the 25th of April or at any other time of the year. Um, and as, as far east as a place called Cappadocia, which is pretty much the jewel in Turkey's crown. Well, it's so. funny you mentioned, so a lot of people would associate, obviously, Gallipoli and Turkey, Istanbul yeah. and Turkey, oh, but yeah. we don't know a lot about the other yeah. areas or towns and cities. Can yeah, you walk well, us through Turkey? That's 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 the surprise. That's the, the lovely part about Turkey. I mean, not, not, not a lot of people realise that Turkey is pretty much the breadbasket of Europe in that sort of region. So they have an amazing, bountiful supply of things like apricots and figs and they produce the most amazing jams, the most amazing beef and lamb for a lot of their cuisine, which is sort of like a, a very lovely melange of um, the best of Middle Eastern cuisine, but some European sort of food. So they sort of uh, start their uh, their breakfast and things with, you know, olives and cheeses and um, uh, beef salamis and things like that. It's quite redolent of places like Italy. Um, and then you've got um, sort of these Middle Eastern sort of influences. Now, I mean, everybody knows about Istanbul and they also make the, the mistake of thinking that Istanbul is the capital mm. when indeed Ankara is the capital. So Ankara is a little bit like a, uh, a Turkish Canberra, a very planned yep. sort of city. And then you've got other sort of um, gems um, because, of course, it's sort of sat in part of the Roman world. You've got some of the most extraordinary ruins. So you've got the ruins of uh, Pergamon. And also the ruins of Kusadasi, uh, or Ephesus, I should say, which sits just outside of uh, Kusadasi. It's very famous for its uh, library, the Library of Selkis. Um, you go down a, a fantastic um, winding Roman road called the Curtis Way, and up in front of you pops this amazing sort of edifice. And it was a library during sort of ancient times because they were very adept at creating books made out of uh, like a vellum type uh, paper. Yeah. So uh, while the Egyptians were using papyrus, of course, the uh, the Turks were already using, uh, uh, 
the innards of cows to create um, vellum to uh, to create books and things like this. And then, of course, there's legendary Troy. Um, but a lot of people do make the mistake of going to Troy with the uh, the, <laughs> the misconception <laughs> that's going to be like, oh, wh- where's Brad Pitt and where's Eric Banner? That's right. And it's not quite like that because the the oh. sea sort of <laughs> ran out. Um, um, a millennia ago or more. So it actually isn't terribly coastal like it is in the movie. Um, they've still got the, the Trojan wooden horse that took the entire place down, of course. But um, uh, Troy itself is, is comprised of sort of eight or nine uh, cities on top of one another. So it's an archaeologist's mm. dream. But for a layman like you or I sort of arriving there, it's like, show us the ruins. And yep. it's so ruinous that it's, that, it, that it's ruined in a sense. So... Um, Troy, it, they're probably not the finest Roman ruins I've ever been to or the finest archaeological ruins, but they certainly do have an, an amazing story to tell based on Homer's The Iliad, the uh, the legendary story. But my money's on um, Pergamon, which is a stop on from um, Troy. And Pergamon has probably at least one of the steepest Roman amphitheatres in the world. Like yep. We're talking super steep, really vertiginous. But also an amazing um, Asclepium, which is an ancient therapeutic centre. And they've still got the uh, the dagger with the serpent around it, the 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 the, the kind of um, logo that you see in hospitals and yeah, sure. today. Yep. Um, and it was a centre of um, ancient sort of healing, and they'd sort of appeal to the gods and things for uh, cures and that sort of thing. And they have a, a spring that still brings about water even today. I mean, so much for history buffs in Turkey. Oh, yeah. Military buffs, obviously. Yeah, as, as well. well. Well, military from the perspective of um, the World War One campaign, which Turkey was very much involved with. I mean, mm. they lost. Um, um, unbeknownst to many of um, uh, the Allied sides, um, just as many men, you know, um, during the uh, the Gallipoli campaign, and the whole Gallipoli campaign really sort of came about because um, when our men went to attempt to land at Anzac Cove on that fateful day, on the twenty fifth of April, nineteen fifteen, the wind was really blowing the wrong way, mm. and um, the the Allies were sort of uh, uh, brought into to port there, and the uh, the Turks literally picked them out. Um, from the the facing cliffs yep. so it's today at that first point uh, at which they landed anzac cove um it's where that we have the commemoration annually and it's a commemoration that um, brings about the three nations well actually four five six nations because we've got of course the english lost um a lot of lives there the australians the new zealanders the turks but also the indians and the french and the mm. canadians lost men there as well so there are lots of memorials dotted all the way sort of along the coast but of course, the most famous is Anzac Cove, which is where the, the event is hold, held. It attracts anywhere between a couple of thousand and during its heyday at the 100th uh, anniversary, anywhere up to 15,000, 16,000. And then the uh, New Zealand commemoration is held just up the hill from Lone Plain, Pine at a place called Chunak Bear, which is um, one of the highest places at which um, the Allies were able to take parts of that uh, peninsula. Yep. And then, of course, Lone Pine, where the Aussies have their... Um, Commemoration, so it's an amazing day. But I'd argue that it, it is also an amazing day any other time of the year as yeah. well. Well, people say Anzac that. Day. People say when they go to Anzac Cove, it's like a a life affirming moment, or just a. I mean, there are there are things you can see when you travel, and you you're taken back by its beauty yeah. or its grandeur, if you like. But it is a different kind of feeling when you step on to Gallipoli. It is, and I, and I think what it is. I mean, I'm not I'm not Australian, so I'm sort of like uh, uh, like well, I, would, I will get my citizenship one day. But um, I, I've been to a lot of country towns like you would have been, you know, where you know places like Wagga Wagga and um, um, Edenhope and Panola yep. and uh, Broken Hill, and every one of these towns and these country towns has a memorial mm. dedicated to the men they lost in World War One. You know, and many of them lost their lives in Gallipoli. And when you get to Gallipoli. It's not till you're there that you realise, gee, how far away 
that place was yep. from those country towns, you know, and the men that made the sacrifice for that campaign. So um, I think it's a, a, a place that's worthy of a visit by any Australian. You know, it contains so much history and we're so well received as visitors. You know, as soon as the Turks see that we're Australian, they're like, Aussie, 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 oi, oi, oi. You yep. know, it's a, a standard catch call during the Anzac commemoration. <laughs> but at any other time, it's great because you don't have the crowds um, uh, if you visit outside of the 25th of April. It's a lot easier to get accommodation, particularly around Chanakali and Echabat and sort of the neighbouring sort of area. But Chanakali is one of the best places to be accommodated. It's a short ferry ride from Echabat and then yep. a short drive onto uh, uh, the Gallipoli coastline. But it's also um, very good for the museum there, which is called Kapitebi War Museum. Uh, it's a very small, modest museum, but it certainly depicts with the, the very poignant exhibits there um, the kind of things that, that, that our men uh, were fighting with, literally no more than, you know, a single-shot rifle with a yep. bayonet at the end. So um, it really is worth seeing. And, it, and it's it's about five hours' drive out of Istanbul, so it normally forms a visit after Istanbul. So you have a couple of days in Istanbul, and then your first stop usually is Gallipoli before heading down south to Troy yep. to visit uh, the archaeological site, then on to Pergamon, which is where we have the... Uh, at least the steepest amphitheatre in the world and the Roman Asclepian that I mentioned before then heading down to, um, I think, one of the jewels in Turkey's crown, um, Kusadasi and the Roman ruins of Ephesus, uh, where I mentioned about the yep. library and the uh, the legendary Curity's uh, Way. In fact, you head down Curity's Way and they've still got remains of um, etchings scribed by children to play tic-tac-toe. Wow. And they've got sort of a, an ancient latrine there and you can sit in the round and chat to your yep. uh, friends because, uh, of course, it was a very social occasion to perform one's ablutions back in ancient <laughs> times. <laughs> and then there's also, um, a, you know, a Roman nymphium and then there's a Roman, um, uh, if you like, prostitute's house because, yep. of course, prostitution is one of the oldest uh, professions mm. in the world and it was certainly at play um, in Kusadasi uh, uh, in Ephesus uh, back in the day. So you got all this rich history. You got all these amazing ruins as well. The architecture too through Turkey, just yeah, incredible. Yeah, um, it's a mix actually because I mean you've got sort of um, the Byzantine sort of influences as well as as well as sort of the ancient Roman influences and more modern influences. Mm. I mean the, the the Turks of today that build their homes. I mean none of these homes would look out of place in Los Angeles and New York and that sort of thing. But in terms of sort of like ancient sort of architecture, yeah, I mean there's just a a plethora of um, extraordinary um, architecture. Some of it has been, of course, um, um, unearthed as a result of archaeological digs and that sort of thing. I mean, in Istanbul, um, you've got some extraordinary architecture. Um, so the, the Hagia Sophia, which was at least the biggest church in Christendom until um, the church in Rome was built, um, and it comprises an enormous basilica. It's now a museum. So an important point to mention is Turkey is now a secular country and it came about after Mustafa Kemal Ataturk, the very revered leader, um, abolished the fez, abolished the uh, uh, Arabic script and brought in the right for women to vote, for example. And he decided to turn this uh, former mosque, um, it was a church, then it became a mosque in Byzantine times, he decided to turn it into a museum. So that's that's an extraordinary piece of architecture and you'll see that on the skyline of just about any image mm. of um, Istanbul. And then, of course, facing it is the Blue Mosque, the legendary five-minareted Blue Mosque. So... Um, again, just the most extraordinary Islamic-style sort of architecture with beautiful carpets and very, very famous Iznik tiles. We should inside. also say, this history aside, it's 
Beautiful coastline, beautiful waterways. Oh, yeah, like, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Well, the Brits go there in droves, of course, during summer. Aussies might not sort of be as familiar with the fact that you can have just an extraordinary um, visit down to places like Calcan and Cash down on the uh, the Mediterranean coast there. Some of the beaches have got sort of sunken columns, you know, mm. Corinthian columns from, you know, ancient sort of Roman times. Um, but the most extraordinary um, iridescent blue, sort of azure blue sort of waters. And one of the nicest ways to sort of get around there is to do basically a gulet cruise, G-U-L-E-T. And they're like a, a mastered rigged sailing vessel yeah. um, with um, ensuite cabins on board. Um, and you can literally just dive over the side. And you're fed water day in, day out for seven nights. And it's a an amazing way of letting your hair down. Most um, two weeks sort of or more sort of trips might include a couple of days on a gulet for you to get yourself a bit of a taste of what's going on. But if you're not heading down to the Dalmatian coast, down to Croatia, as you were talking about just before, it's a really nice way of seeing the Turkish coast as well on, the, on a gulet. And imagine telling your friends and family you're on a gulet. Yeah. I mean, that's oh, yeah. what travel's all about. Yeah, How was yeah. your holiday? Great. Yeah. I went on a gulet. That's it. Talk to us about Turkey. We associate food when we go on trips yeah. as well. What's Turkey like? What's Turkish cuisine? Yeah, well, ter- Turkish cuisine, as I mentioned just before, is a little bit like a... a a melange of um, Persian food, sort of Middle Eastern sort of influences. So mm-hmm. lots of tomato-based um, sort of dishes. Um, lots of beef and lamb and chicken will feature. Never pork because mm-hmm. it's um, uh, the people subscribe to the tenets of Islam. And, of mm-hmm. course, um, pork is um, uh, verboten. So you won't see pork sort of anywhere on the menu, but you'll see plenty of chicken and uh, lamb or mutton, beef. And they do some extraordinary things. Lots of um, stewed-type meats. One of my favourite um dishes is the Iskander kebab which sort of um, emanates from a place called Bursa and it's sort of like a um, uh, marinated lamb and it's sort of um, sliced off a um, one of those like huge kebab type things yep. and it's steeped in like a tomatoey sauce and you have it in bread oh. with salads and things like this and uh, it's got me written um, all over you know, it garlic well. sauce <laughs> yep. and all that. definitely got you written all over it um, and then of course um, you've got uh, the most amazing spice markets in Istanbul which give rise to um um, a lot of the flavourings used in those sort of cuisines. Um, but you'll see, you know, apricots and you'll see uh, uh, pe- bell peppers, uh, capsicums and uh, pistachios and olives and onion and uh, um, lots and lots of uh, um, dried herbs and things like this sort of in the cuisine. I wouldn't say um, it's fiery in any way. There's no mm-hmm. sort of fieriness to the cuisine. It's just very, very tasty. And you can stock up, stop at a lot of roadhouses, you know, where, you know, the the coach will fill up on petrol and that sort of thing. And the, the, the roadhouses give rise to sort of a new meaning um, in terms of the word gas station because they they expand upon that. You know, yep. you can go in there and do a bit of shopping and um, pick yourself up some nice fig jam and so <laughs> on and then have yourself a nice three-course meal. So, um, and, and, the, and the breads as well. The breads mm. are something else. And you'll see a lot of the bread sellers oh. in Istanbul and Ankara selling these amazing kind of puffy breads with nigella seeds and sesame seeds on, yep. sto- on top and they're really nice. They almost... They almost demand a bit of um, melted butter and Vegemite. Oh, beautiful. Well, we yeah. know of Turkish breads. We know of Turkish delight. That's it. Well, yeah. Well, then we're away. yeah. Well, Turkish delight actually. Um, I went but there don't and tell I. Tell s- me. Yeah, I swerved to a halt when I got to Istanbul oh, because okay. um, my kind of Turkish delight is fries, Turkish delight, and yep. robed in Cadbury's glass <laughs> and a half milk chocolate, right? But when you get to um, Turkey, you'll see the word lokum, L-O-K-U-M, yep. and their Turkish delight is before the chocolate arrives it's, on it, yep. and it's rather more chewy as mm. well. Mm. So they have like a rose petal flavour, and they mm-hmm. have apple flavours, and they have um, milky lokum as well, which is um, kind of almost like a, a hard, very sort of dense marshmallow, but sort of chewier, mm-hmm. and they'll often roll it in coconut or loads of um, icing sugar, and you can buy boxes of the stuff, you know, 
but they're almost like little tiny house bricks and mm. they're it's not an acquired taste but don't go there with the misconception it's no. gonna be like a you know a bar of fries because it's not Free plug, <laughs> quick free plug. There is a Turkish delight store in the Adelaide Central Market that does the traditional Turkish yes, delight. So that okay. maybe that's the way to do it. That's probably Taste the way to that. do it. If you like that, then yeah. when you go to Turkey, I can recommend the lemon lime. That yeah. one goes very well. Is there a good time? Is there a better time to travel to Turkey in terms of climate, uh, tourists? Is there a? Can you travel all year round to Turkey? Yeah, well, you can. Um, but that said, um, Istanbul, the capital, even um, isn't um, averse to having a snowfall. So. I've been in Istanbul where I've been walking around in the centre uh, knee-deep in snow. Like it's almost inconceivable when you're there in April, May. Yeah. And not sweltering, but you're, you're rather warm. You know, temperatures not unlike today from around about sort of April onwards, but the temperatures can turn in at night time and get quite cool. If you want sort of nice, warm, suntan sort of weather, um, any time between May and September is great. But then, of course, you've got March and April, which give rise to nice days of the kind that we've had in Adelaide this week, sort of the early 20s sort mm-hmm. of thing. And then, of course, um, September, October is a nice time of the year because you've still got the good weather and you've still got sort of uh, uh, good daylight, but you've got less of the tourists sort of coming at that time of the year. Um, It really sort of starts to sort of pull in in terms of uh, um, colder weather, sort of that November, December, January. So perhaps not a great time of the year to go. Um, But if you don't like the heat, um, you don't like the crowds, good time of the year to go. What type of person? Do we recommend Turkey too? Um, pretty much. Is it good much. for families? Is it good for the adventurous type? Is it good for the history buff or all of those? It's pretty much all of those um, above actually. Um, one thing I would say in my um, little pattern that I haven't mentioned is, um, is Cappadocia. And that's a place that would befit um, the child amongst us, children anyway, adventurers, lovers, romanticists, um, singles, you know, anyone sort of heading to... Um, uh, Turkey because it, um, it it pretty much is the jewel in Turkey's crown. So um, amazingly surreal landscapes. They've got these um, amazing sort of soft rock formations hewn by the wind into sort of like mushroom-like shapes. And of course, um, it was also the site of pretty much the Christian persecution by the Muslims. So the Christians decided, what are we going to do? Let's go underground. So they built underground cities underneath, right? So you've wow. got sort of underground cities that are three, four, five, six stories deep underground as they escaped persecution by the uh, the rising islamic tide so it's an extraordinary legacy of that time so it's an amazing archaeological find um and a great place to to see and a lot of people elect to go up on a hot air balloon to see the entire sort of region so mm-hmm. it's a very crafty sort of art and crafty region of um, turkey so that in itself if you're going nowhere else in turkey go there mm-hmm. you know but then of course you've got uh, historical um gallipoli um you've got the amazing roman ruins and i think you know, children are, are very enchanted by that sort of thing. But most travellers who seek to um, enjoy a little bit of history will enjoy that as well. You'll have the gourmands who'll, who'll enjoy the food. Um, you can drink amazing wine in Turkey. And they also do a stock trade in um, um, liquors as well, sort of like aniseed-based um, yep. liqueurs, but also brandies and things like this. And then you've got um, the shoppers as well. I mean, the biggest undercover bazaar in the world. What size are we talking Istanbul. here? We're talking about four and a half thousand shops undercover. Wow. And it's called the Kapalikasi or Grand Bazaar. Imagine how many husbands will be sitting on the side while the <laughs> yeah. wife, you know, you see that yeah. in shopping centres, they'll that's just it. be waiting. Wow, that's yeah. a big They're their own cop shop there and everything, yeah. you know, like it's amazing. And it's, 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 fully, it's fully sort of signposted, you get maps and that sort of thing, but you've got quarters that are dedicated to just leather production or to beet and silver production yep. or rugs. 
when you go in and buy a rug, you, you've only got to give the guy a glint in your eye and you'll walk out with a rug at some point. <laughs> and they'll package it up in the most impossibly small package yep. so that you can't even argue that I, I won't get it home in my case because they'll work out a way to get you a two metre by one metre rug in a very, very small package for you to place in your luggage to take home. That's incredible. But never, ever believe that it's a family heirloom from the 17th century. Right. Caveat emptor, let the buyer beware. <laughs> and then they've got like a gold, uh, gold they've got the golden mile it's called. Yep. And it's just, you know, top to, uh, to toe uh, with absolutely amazing gold shops selling everything from uh, evil eyes, you know, the little blue evil mm. eyes, um, all the way up to uh, solid gold bracelets and things I like this. I can't wait to see Australians just slugging a big rug over their shoulder as they make <laughs> yeah, their way through. Yeah. Before we let you go, mm. and again, we appreciate you talking to us all about Turkey, uh, language barriers, finances, everything, easy place to get yeah, around Yeah, it is Turkey. actually, yeah. Um, most people in the touristic trade speak um, a good measure of English, so um, certainly no sort of issues in terms of, uh, uh, of speaking. The other good thing about money as well is um, up until sort of 10 years ago or thereabouts, it was one of those currencies, the Turkish lira, that had loads of zeros on the end of it. Difficult for people to sort of get their heads around um, the the rate of exchange but all those zeros have been taken off the currency now so uh, makes it a whole lot easier mm. um, it's one of the low cost leaders of that European sort of region so it needn't cost you a fortune you can get some tremendously good value uh, deals um, to Turkey including lots of meals so they're not sort of backwards and coming forwards on the the meal quota so you don't have a lot of that to sort of eat through your uh, uh, your spending money um, we've got a trip that's heading off um, in to Turkey at the beginning of November. It's escorted by Corey Inhoven. Return flights, 12 nights accommodation, 25 meals, all your sightseeing. Yep. And it's for under $5,000. That's amazing. So it's, it's a really amazing value when you think about the fact that it already includes a flight. And that sort of, that itinerary with Corey subscribes to pretty much um, what I've spoken to you about today. All of those sort of different highlights incorporated in um, a swashbuckling two weeks. Fully escorted from Adelaide, you can discover Turkey with Phil Hoffman Travel. Melanie Wynn, thank you for talking us through it. Thank you, Lee. We look forward to seeing more rugs and more Turkish delight at <laughs> your place. Uh, if you want to find out more, you can do so at any of the 10 Phil Hoffman Travel offices online at pht.com.au. Check out the social media channels as well and keep listening to the Phil Hoffman Travel podcast.